All right. And welcome to Michigan Business Talk. My name is Mike Doctor, and uh, I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited you guys are joining us today. Um, I'm excited for our guest, Randy Rua of Nuvescore Group, the managing partner of Nuvescore Group. Randy and I met probably probably five years ago or right. so. It's kind of an interesting meeting. Uh, we were both having lunch at our own business meetings. Yeah. I think it was at Public in Zealand, maybe? Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, great place if you're ever in Zealand. Um, and uh, we, we were finishing up our business meetings, and, and I was waiting for a check, and I was, I guess, eavesdropping a little bit, <laughs> is what you can say. But he was, uh, he was mentioning about, you know, how he wished, uh, you know, there was some sort of service that uh, existed out there that happened to be a service at the time that uh, I, I was working with. So we developed a relationship there, which is how I met him. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited for you to be here. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you just came out with a brand new book this yes, year, right? Just this year, yeah. Just uh, in January called You Just Can't Make This Stuff Up, The Trials and Triumphs of Negotiating Mergers and Acquisitions. Yes. And that is the business of, uh, of Nuvescore Group, correct. correct? And we'll talk about the book in a second. But, yep. um, you know, before we get into that, I guess, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, you know, where you're from. Originally from West Michigan, right? Right, right. From awesome. West Michigan. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, graduated from Calvin College. Yeah. Very cool. And started out as an engineer. So that engineer. Was yes. Okay. Yes. Where were you an engineer? At Prince Corporation. Okay. So yeah. you are very West Michigan <laughs> then, aren't you? <laughs> yes. A lot of people went through Prince Corporation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Actually, so actually sold companies to people that uh, were from Prince. So, really? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So an engineer for Prince Corporation. Yes. And um, you worked with them for how many years? About four years. And then I, I've always wanted to uh, start a company. So that's where I, um, I decided to leave Prince Corporation. Well, they bought up by Johnson Controls first. Yep. And things were changing. So I decided to go to my MBA at USC and decided to leave and study entrepreneurship. So they had, they had an MBA program for entrepreneurs, which was kind of cool. Probably one of the first ones around that time, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the top um, top three programs in the state for, or the country for that. So, wow, yeah, very cool. And yeah. did you go to California specifically? Did you study in, yeah, in Southern California? Yeah, I lived on a boat when I was there. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't afford rent otherwise. So really, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize I didn't realize that that was the discounted way. That seems like that'd be the more fun way to do it. it actually, was, it was a great time. Yeah, it was discounted. So. <laughs> it was discounted. That's good. That's yeah, good. Okay, yeah. so USC for entrepreneurship. I guess, you know, when you when you were first going to college for engineering at Calvin, which mm -hmm. is a great West Michigan school, great engineering school, yes. they have a great program. Um, a lot of West Michigan engineers, and West Michigan is a, a big manufacturing area and has been a big manufacturing area right. for a long time. So a lot of engineers have gone through Calvin College, come yes. from Calvin College, had great careers coming into a lot of West Michigan businesses. When you were initially studying that, did you sort of know that you had that drive for entrepreneurship and you kind of had that tingle? Yeah, I, I did because my um, my father owned his own business, okay. in engineering consulting. So I helped him in his company and that's why I wanted to be an engineer, but I also wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I felt kind of uh, torn between the two mm -hmm. and my father really encouraged me, well, get your engineering degree because you can do anything else from there. So he's sure. like, if you can do that, you're, you're set. So that's probably what, true. what I did. But that pull to be an entrepreneur was really strong. And that's why I eventually kind of went, went into business school and went after that that uh, career. Excellent. So from what they were teaching you, I mean, obviously the dynamic now in mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and the dynamic in business oh, yeah. is very different. Yes. But from what they were teaching you there, I guess, with 
because so I teach entrepreneurship at Davenport, oh, cool. right? Yeah. And um, it's it's a fantastic program, and I enjoy it. Um, but there's obviously certain things that you just can't teach in a classroom setting. Right. But when you first came out of that um, and you first started getting into the different world, now when you first came out of that with that degree, did you start your business right away? I did. As part of that program, they, oh, okay. had, a, they had a competition. So really? So I ended up winning the business plan competition and we got funding for my business. Nice. So that was a fun adventure, but it was in the late 90s. So everyone was doing the dot-com startups. Okay. So I had one of those as well. And sure. And so uh, right after the market crashed, my funding got pulled. So I didn't quite get off the ground. It was kind of one of those exciting times, but very disappointing times when it was kind of like, well, this is all over now. Right. Yeah. So were you now were you back in West Michigan at that point or were you in the Silicon Valley? Yeah, I was still in California. Or, and then yeah. I was, so when that kind of fell apart, I did come back to West Michigan mm-hmm. um, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Hmm. And at that John's Controls said, hey, we got a spot for you if you want to come back here. I had job offers other places. So uh, it was okay from a job standpoint. I had lots of options. But I didn't want to go back to a job. I wanted to have my own business. So my father had sold his company by then to his employees. And um, he was kind of bored. And actually, <laughs> I... I came downstairs one day I was at home at that time and he was actually on his computer day trading mm-hmm. and I was watching him and he like lost $30,000 like in half hour so I was like, like a lot what? of people have done in the last two weeks here <laughs> <Yeah>. is probably <laughs> so I'm like what are you doing are you crazy and he's like yeah I'm just bored I need to do something I'm like well you shouldn't be day trading <laughs> obviously you're not good at it so <laughs> so we, we decided to uh, well he just said well you know I don't really want to help you start a company because I tried to get him to say let's go start something together yeah. And he's like, that's way too much work. I've done it. You've been in the process. You know, he said, you've ever thought about buying a business? Mm. And I said, you know, I've never thought of that as entrepreneurship. I always thought of you got to start something from scratch. Sure. And he's like, well, have you looked up the statistics on that and what it, you know, the difference is? And I started looking into it and it's, yeah, way better chance of being successful in in buying a company and starting one. So we looked for about two years, um, and that was a great process of looking. And then you have to have time to find the right opportunity. But yep. we did, and we uh, ended up buying two companies and putting them together. And then I ran that for several years and sold it. So that was my kind of entree into M&A. And I realized I loved the buying process. I loved the selling process. Mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to be like an entrepreneur owner-operator, but I sure. really – enjoy the buying and selling process better than actually um, owning and operating a business. So what was it about that that you felt, man, this is really something that I'm drawn to? Yeah. That that specific process that geared you up. I think it's really, um, you know, it's the complexity of it. Uh, It's like you could be an engineer, almost a financial engineer in Uh a sense, you know, kind of come up with a deal that works for all parties. It's the, it's the, uh, the kind of the timing pressure it's um it's all the ups and downs of the process. I mean, I just geared to that kind of environment. So yeah. if it's too steady, I get bored. Right. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like most entrepreneurs probably. Yeah, exactly. So it yeah. fit my entrepreneurial is every deal is so different, it's like a new startup. Yeah. So I got to do it over and over again with each new deal and just love that process. So once it became stable and steady, it's not as exciting. Sure, of course. Yeah. And that's usually that's usually what happens. So yeah. you sort of discovered that you wanted to broker businesses when you were starting and brokering your own right really right for myself and yeah. my father right so and 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 that's kind of a cool cool transition so what i guess with that how did the process from there go like you know you have one successful deal yours 
right? Or a couple successful right. deals, yours. And, and then, you know, you, you decide, okay, I'm going to go into business doing this. Yes. And probably, it, I mean, that's not necessarily the, in this environment, maybe the most traditional thing to do with a business, right? right? A lot of people with family businesses, they're owning them and passing them down for generations and, and Prince Corporation's perfect example until, you know, right. the buyouts and things. And and that's how a lot of West Michigan businesses are built and done. And so right. now you almost have a new and, and maybe I'm wrong on this when you guys were coming into it, but mm-hmm. I don't know of many other companies outside of yours that do this here. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so coming into that, how was that process saying, hey, we have this service that we know is valuable mm-hmm. Uh, and now we have to try to convince everybody else it's as valuable as we think it is. Right. So when I started trying to sell our business, my father and I's business, I did it on my own. I started a, a, a firm, you know, I called it Lakeshore Business Brokers back then. Mm. And I was attempting to sell the company. And what I realized is that if you don't have a good buyer pool, good infrastructure, it takes a long time to kind of build that yes. up. So I actually decided to find a firm to help us sell. And okay. That's how I got into the business. Ended up working for that firm. Okay. And actually, ended up working for them while they were trying to sell our business. And ended up being part of that transaction from a broker side, but working with that company. Got it. Got so it. So that's kind of how I started my career in M and A is actually working for another another firm. Excellent. And so, and how long did you were you with that other firm before you decided that you know the next step was for you to step out and start doing this on your own? Yeah. So I was there for about two years, and um, you know. One of the struggles I had with the whole M&A world mm. is that the success rate is pretty, pretty horrible. Yes. So, and yes, that was is. really frustrating for me. So, you know, we would have, I think at the time, you know, 20 something uh, projects to work on. Mm-hmm. And if we could close, you know, 20 percent of that, 30 percent of that, that would be good. So if sure. you close six deals out of 20, that's a good year. Yeah. And I just really struggled with that. I just didn't understand, you know, how can that be providing a service when you're signing someone up saying, hey, I got a 20% chance of actually being successful with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> just the didn't. sales pitch is a little rough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just, didn't, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. So I actually was going to leave M&A completely and, that's what, and start another type of a firm that was doing exit planning. Okay. Uh, but, and trying to help people be more successful. But I actually decided to go work for another company, um, Maybe I thought they were doing it differently, and I would try and experience that. And sure. so, um, yeah, so that was my next you know, business I worked with. And then they actually did things differently. They had a higher success rate, but um, still a lot of the same challenges with um, clients that maybe didn't have all the information when they closed. So there are some people that were unhappy after the mm. transaction. So mm-hmm. not only was it hard to be successful, but even when you were successful, if um, – if you didn't have your eyes wide open, you'd find out things like tax issues, you know, sure. huge tax issues I didn't know about, or the, uh, the buyer, you know, bought the business and then they ended up getting it back because of issues with, uh, they are over leveraged, things like yeah. that. So yeah. I realized it's more than just getting the deal done. It's getting it done <laughs> and it's making sure that afterwards what you expect to happen happens. Yeah. It's and the, it's the right deal for yeah. the right people the right way. Yeah. So, so that's why, that's why I ended up, started my own company for exit planning and valuation work through associates. And that's kind yeah. of how I ended up with that. Well, and, and now it, with just looking at Nuvescore and how Nuvescore goes mm-hmm. to business, it's almost like you've blended those two things now. Correct. Is that correct? That's so correct. now you have the process of, right. cause you know, and, and I think 
I think a lot of people now are more inclined to start a business with the idea of selling it 10 years down the road yes, than they used to be. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's about, you know, how do I get, how do I get this off the ground and how do I deal in all this emerging market stuff and, right. and all these, you know, new risky areas, which are the areas where big money is made and it's the way that innovation moves forward and it's all great stuff, right. but it's, it's, it is risky and, you know, it seems like there's a process to mitigate that risk if people know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they know how to do it right. And it seems like that's some of the process that you, you've you started to evaluate on the back end. Like if somebody's going in to either look for businesses, you have a way for them to evaluate businesses. Right. And if somebody wants to sell their business, you have a way to evaluate that business to say, hey, you do have everything in line or no, we got some work to do before we get to that point. Correct. And now, did, has that process pretty much just come through your experience and the years of experience you've had doing this? Or is it a process that you've adapted from, you know, an, another process? How, how, sure. is this, how has this come together? And what is that process uh, as people are going through looking at buying or selling businesses? Okay. So from the selling perspective, the process really came out of an organization called Exit Planning Institute. Okay. So I took their process and my experience and kind of combined it. Now, Exit Planning Institute is really meant for uh, people that want to be paid uh, consulting fees to help someone get ready to sell their business. Okay. And so... What I found, though, it was really hard to get people to actually pay for that. You know? <laughs> sure. Okay. So, because they think they think their business is ready to go, they think it's all they don't really need anything. That's or. part of it. But the other part of it is, I had one person tell me that's like asking for, um, you know, funeral insurance or something. Got it's it. Like, you know, they yeah. felt like you know by going through this process, I'm basically saying it's over, and it was a it's an emotional struggle. For yeah. People. And that makes sense. So yeah. they really um, they really want to sell their business. But they didn't want to go through a process of planning to sell their business. Got it. So yep. I did I did several exit plans and kind of figured out how hard it was to sell that as a standalone service. But then I had a lot of people coming to me that still wanted to sell their business, but I knew that they were having issues in their business that would make it hard to sell. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I combined the two together. And so we have a kind of a, a first uh, phase process of really helping people identify you know, issues with their business that will make you either not saleable or saleable, maybe not to evaluation level they want. Sure. And then we do that process first. And then if things uh, make sense, we go to market. But we basically do it all in the same package of, hey, eventually you want to sell this business. Um, let's start working together. And if we're ready now, let's go ahead and go. Mm. If not, then we'll kind of show you where you got to improve on. And then we'll go when you're ready. So that's kind of how we did that. Very cool. So that and that just sort of blended into to where, obviously, you know, when when you have the uh, the place that people go, New Vescore Group to buy and sell businesses in West yep. Michigan, and now you have this great process to go along with that. Right. Obviously, the success rate is going to increase. Oh, definitely. Now, so what have you seen? And and I know the answer to this because mm-hmm. of your business and yep. knowing your business and the website. But what have you seen have have been the differences between? instituting this process for brokering a business and not instituting this process for brokering a business? What is the percent increase you've seen on bringing these two parties together? Yes. So as I mentioned before, about 20 to 30% success rate if you don't go through a process of at least looking at the issues in your business that may prevent you from selling or being successful. So when you start having that, that prep process in place and knowing what you're getting into and maybe fixing some things before you go to market, 
you know, we kind of flipped that around. Mm. So 80 plus percent, you know, I think, um, you know, last year was a good example. So 15, you know, projects, uh, 14 of them closed. We didn't mm. have one that didn't close. And yep. now what we're finding is those are things out of our control. Like, yeah. for instance, maybe they uh, lost uh, a major customer, you know, and it kind of disrupted their business. So we were able to, we had to, like, take a break from marketing it because buyers are trying to figure out what's happening. Sure. So there's yeah. there's still external things that happen. Yep. But you, um, but it reduces the um, probability of not being successful. So, you, have, yeah. you know, if you prepare. For sure. And, and I guess in terms of preparedness and what's going on now, I mean, obviously the biggest market scare, everything right now is coronavirus. Right. And, and this is not the first, you know, global catastrophe, world epidemic that Randy Rua and Nuvescor <laughs> Group have been through. Right? right. This is not the first time that something like this has happened. And, right. you know, you're de- you deal with a lot of manufacturing companies. It's and, primarily and, manufacturing. Yeah. And, and they're they're the ones who are going to see some sort of effect from this. Definitely. Um, you know, with with this or with any other type of unforeseen that comes through, because there's always going to be political unforeseens. Right. There's always going to be, uh, you know, sometimes health concerns, unforeseens like this. There's going to be civil unrest. There's right. going to be, you know, the Saudis and the Russians arguing over oil. There's always going to be something. Right. Right. Yes, yes. What always are something. always something? What are the things that a business needs to look at? To, to what do they need to focus on or the things that maybe they need to focus on to block out the noise yes. and all this nonsense right. that is really just, it's a short-term effect, yeah. right? What are the things that they can do to continue planning long-term for great business succession down yes. the line? So, you know, one of the things that we really focus on, we're looking at a company and trying to analyze, you know, how valuable it is and how saleable it is, yeah. is looking at their systems and looking at, you know, is this a cash flow machine? Sure. Is, is this a business that the right processes and systems are in place, they're documented, they're repeatable, yeah. so that you can basically um, plug people in and out of it, mm-hmm. and people aren't the, the main equation. Yeah. And so, um, or the environment's not the main equation. You're not reliant on anything. Now, the system obviously has to be able to scale. So sure. in, in bad times, it has to be able to shrink down, and in good times, it has to be able to scale up. Yep. But if you focus on building that, system that machine Hmm. then really everything else is truly noise versus maybe you have a great business because we're in a great economy and that's the only reason for great business yeah so that's kind of how we have to look at it is you know we'll just stand the ups and downs because the system will sustain you know you mentioned a really interesting thing that i think a lot of people don't think about in terms of of business growth but the idea of scaling down yeah everybody focuses so much on scaling they up do. and what are the things we need to have in place to scale up but what what are some situations where you've seen a business needs to scale down that that is really for the best you know and, and probably in manufacturing you see it more often than not yeah. uh in situations like this but what are some examples of that and what can how can a business approach that the right way because that's not an easy process no it's not yeah um we have a good example of that recently in the transaction been working on where uh, they had a customer that was 40% of their business. That's mm. a big chunk of business. Yes, right? it is. And that was a big risk factor. So the marketplace looked at that and wanted to devalue the company because of that. But the system the business had was fantastic, and they could scale up and down. Sure. Um, so they um, they ended up losing that big customer. Yeah. So they were forced to kind of, okay, size quickly, and they did. And they they dropped in EBITDA. They dropped in their cash flow. Mm-hmm. But it was it was basically predictable how much they dropped. They managed it well. Mm-hmm. Their margins were maintained. 
So now um, it was interesting because buyers are looking at this business saying, wow, look what you did. And yeah. they're valuing it at a higher multiple. Yeah. So what happened is the deal fell apart because they lost this big customer. This was in sure. the middle of the negotiation. Oof. We're getting more money now than we did before when they had that customer mm. because the multiple they're able to pay is higher because it is, the system proved itself to be scalable or yeah. go scale down as well as up. Yeah, so that's it, that's a great example. Yeah, it's amazing. It just shows the value of being able to do that. So well, and not just that, but also having somebody in your corner, right? right. Because and you you touched on it before in the midst of exit planning or in the midst of selling a business is, mm-hmm. you know, and and Rob and you know Rob, you know we're both mm-hmm. uh, acquaintances with Rob, and and you know he's always famous for saying business is math. Right. At the end of the day, a business exists to make profit. Right. And and that's not a that's not a new concept. Right. Right. But it's still it's emotional. Right. And the whole process of getting it to that point is an emotional process because you're investing your effort, your time, your energy, yourself into it. Right. And having someone in your corner, I think, you know, someone like Nuvesco who can have that perspective of, hey, yeah. You know, I know this is falling apart right now, but stay the course. Look at what it is that you're actually doing. Right. And look at, at the successes that you're having, because it's very easy to get bombarded by negative. It is. Um, but I it think is. that's that's a great testament to well, their, what you guys do. Their first reaction was really, we'll have to wait several years to be able to go back to market. And they really? really? And they really wanted to exit in the near term. They had, they had retirement plans, they had things they wanted to go do. They already had it all lined up. Sure. They were close to actually closing. So in their yeah. mind, they were already out of the business. Yeah. And then when the deal fell apart, they're like, you know, they're very almost depressed like we we'll have to wait several years to get yeah. back to that valuation yeah but they didn't realize like you said that seeing the um the value in their own business and the systems they have we were able yeah. to kind of help them see that uh, plan for that show buyers that and get the value that they wanted yeah so. so are you are you seeing more people now wanting to purchase businesses for a turnkey solution opposed to being an actual manager or operator in it? Are they buying businesses for the systems or are they buying businesses because they love running manufacturing companies? So um, before I would say maybe 10 years ago, most buyers and the smaller sides of manufacturing companies were buying a job. Sure. So there are, yeah. you know, there's a craftsman person that was really good at tool and die or stamping or some specialty and they built a business around that, and they had to find a buyer that had the passion for that and was going to kind of take over their role. Sure. Um, that still happens, obviously, but, you know, the valuations are much lower because usually those individuals can't afford to pay as much. Yep. In the market yep. we have today, there's a lot more buyers that are looking for buying these systems, and they want to pay a lot of money for them. Absolutely. So, if you have a so if you if you um, so I would say there's still opportunities to sell a job mm-hmm. out there and there's buyers for that but it's just at much lower valuations. Yeah, well, and I think that there's I think that there's been some situations obviously over the past five years where things have been really really good economically with the market with everything else right. where people are are a little cash heavy. Yes, and they're looking to redistribute that That's and right. save themselves and hedge themselves from a situation like the last three weeks. Right. Um, and and that happens because at the end of the day, a business is an asset class. That's it's right. a cash flow generating machine. Exactly right. And it's an asset class. And you can purchase stocks, you can purchase real estate, or you can purchase cash flowing businesses. Right. You can purchase a job, but right. a lot of big time investors who have a lot of money to spend yeah. on businesses are not looking to purchase a job. No. <laughs> They're looking to diversify their portfolio, correct? Right. Awesome. So, and, and I have to imagine that, you know, again, over the last five years, you're seeing more of that 
turnkey type of stuff, which is which is a good thing. So for a business that's just starting now, yes, what's the number one thing? And we're going to get into the book in a second because I'm sure. excited to talk about that. But what's the number one thing for a business now that wants to get started in order to sell their company in the next 10 years? What's the what's the one thing that they need to focus on from the get go yeah. that has to be a primary focus from start to finish? Because I know there's a million different things. Yes. Right. But there's got to be at least one constant one to a few constants that you see that every business has in common that has success in this world. Yeah. You, you hear um, people say you should work on your business versus in your business. Yeah. Well, I think if you're starting out, it's pretty hard to just work on your business, right? Yeah. I mean, when you're a startup or you're, you have a new business you just purchased even. Yeah. But um, I would say you have to do both. You really do. You mm-hmm. have to be, while you're working in your business, your sole focus should be, how do I work myself out of this job? You know, mm-hmm. How do I systematize it? How do I put in the processes? How do I get to a point where I can plug someone else in and they can be successful doing this role? And yeah. I think if you start off day one with that mindset and every day that you go into the, you know, going to work, you think that way, you can build a business fairly quickly that's very saleable um, and, add, and have a lot of value to that business. Yeah, and I would agree with you. And it, and it, it helps to obviously know the systems that you have in place, right? right. And be right. able to run those uh, because if they do break down and it's right. just completely systematized and you have zero idea, right? You know, you're you're going to be in a situation and you're going to potentially make decisions that can lower the value of your business, right? Correct. Um, awesome. So now, how many years total have you been brokering businesses yourself? So since 2004, so since 16 years. 16 years. Yes. And there, I'm sure there's been a lot yes. of crazy things that yes. you've come through, which I, um, and yeah. I'm just assuming because we haven't talked about it, but that's probably what inspired the book initially, right? Yes. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about, about how you guys came up with this idea. And I, I know Jay's name, but I don't know Jay okay. personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But how do you know Jay and, and, um, how did you guys come up with the idea of writing this book yeah, and so, how'd the process go and, and tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So Jay and I, um, we actually did a transaction together. He was representing the seller and I was representing the buyer. So that's sure. how we got, got to know each other through that transaction, through that process. And we realized that, you know, we have a lot of common values in how transactions get done and yeah. so we bonded around that. And so we would get together on a regular basis for breakfast and we would just be, share war stories. Right? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So we're, we're sharing these stories and, um, you know, Jay, who's actually written other books before because he loves to, to write. Yeah. He said, we should write a, we should write a book about these stories. He said, I'm like, well, yeah, sure. Why not? So, <laughs> right. so that's kind of how it started. And whenever yeah. we get together, we, you know, he would basically take down the stories and we'd talk through um, everything and then he was helping write it and I'd edit it and look it over and but now we have a book on it. Yeah. So, yeah. And, it, and it's awesome. And there's a lot of cool tips and I've read the, the forward in the first couple of chapters and full disclosure. I haven't read the whole thing yet. Sure. Um, but I, but I have read the first few chapters and, and it's very, it's a very easy read, yeah. um, which is great. And, and are you telling, um, similar types of stories throughout the whole book? Is it a similar character that goes through the whole book? Is it different vignettes? How, how did you put this book together and, um, what are the major things that you're trying to communicate in yeah. the midst of it too, so outside of just a fun collection of, of stories that are, you know, right. 
unbelievable at, <laughs> at certain times. So I wrote kind of the first draft of the book, right? Yeah. My, I wrote it from a, almost an engineering perspective, very technical, very how-to. Sure. And I gave it to Jay, and Jay ruled through it, and he's like, no one's going to read this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was kind of the start. But we used that as a framework. So what sure. we did is we, you know, basically the way that I wrote the technical book was I took each kind of problem that you run into, or a variety of common issues, common yeah. roadblocks to doing deals. Sure. And I kind of outlined each one and, and technically what do you do to kind of prepare for that and how do you, so what he said is let's take each one of these and find a, a transaction that we did and use it as an example. Yeah. So the, the book is really a collection of stories, but they, they cover a variety of issues you might face in doing transactions and how you overcome them. And yeah. the whole last part of the book is uh, basically taking the first draft I wrote, condensing it down the technical side. So it is in yeah. there. It's at the very end. Yeah, so. right, right, right. People, people got to <laughs> get through yeah. to get it. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. And it, and it's, it's neat how it, you know, it, it follows obviously real life events that everybody can relate to. Yeah. You know, and 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 just the first chapter alone, just talking about, you know, the the initial succession planning and who it all affects. Right. You know, all the people that are involved in this and what their expectations are based on conversations and effort put in and and you know the different things surrounding the building of a business and all the emotional components right Right. and and some of the some of the fallout from from those things too you know I mean maybe talk a little bit I guess about that how you know and, and this is just lessons from the first chapter of of you know a family business that um you know was was started and run and built in part by somebody not part of the family. Right. And uh, when it's time to hand the business over, that individual expects that they're going to receive the business in full and they've been saving and preparing their them and their wife have, have lived under their means for a certain amount of time in preparation for this because that's always been the plan. Right. And now all of a sudden everything changes. Yes. Right. And yes. and you know how obviously the names and everything have been changed to protect the innocent like you talked about but this is a real story and i'm sure there's somebody listening who's just been in a small family business of some sort who's felt this way right you know and 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 it can be something as um as small as you know son-in-law versus son or something you know bigger as you know somebody outside of the family completely Right. you know, versus, versus the, the air, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. Right. But, but how do you manage these situations? Because you're, you're the person probably who's people call the vent to, you're the person right. that people, right. you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what do I do about this? You know, there, there's yeah. a lot of risk associated with not providing the individual who has helped you build your business and your empire the proper respect and the proper succession planning as well. Right. So um, how does that process go and what do you what do you recommend to people who are getting towards the end when you have trusted advisors who have helped you through this entire process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the um, looking at all your alternatives is really important. And sure. so I really believe um, you know, what we do is even if someone comes to us and has already made up their mind they want to sell to a third party, we always say, well, let's look at your internal people first. Sure. Because, you know, savvy buyers have come to realize that that this happens where they buy a business and someone's expecting the people to buy it, a major, a major um, uh, manager, a key employee, right? Yep. 
And so that causes all kinds of problems for the transition. So what they do is they'll ask about that. If you if you talk to this person, have you mm-hmm. tried to, you know, do they want to buy the business? What are their plans? So we want to address that early on. So yeah. we we'll say, let's look at all your options and do some planning around, you know, is a family ownership a good idea? Is it the management team ownership a good idea? You know, you can look at a third party. You can look at ESOP. You can look at There's a whole, sure. whole different ways to do it make sure you really explore all that so that when you do make your final decision on which way to go, you can feel good about that. You don't mm-hmm. have the remorse that maybe you made the wrong decision and you've involved the different people um, you know, in that process so they feel good about the decision. Yeah. So a lot of times managers want to buy the business but they really can't afford it. Yep. And so it's education yep. process and once they come to grips with that, they're usually okay. Yeah. Um, but if they don't know any better, you know, they think, oh, I can easily do this. Um, you know, there can be some real um, angry people in the process. So. Absolutely. And yeah. productivity goes down and a right. variety of other things in the midst of it. I, and and I'm not saying that this was the specific situation that you wrote about, but I have to imagine there's times where business owners don't take your advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. And you're still, I'm assuming, under contract to right. represent them as best as, as possible. Correct. Um, and that happens, I think with any professional right. and any type of, of scenario where, where you are an expert in your field right. and someone has hired you, uh, to, to help them, but in it, whether it's ego or whether it's emotions or whatever mm-hmm. it is, yeah. they, they've just decided that they want to do it a certain way, uh, and go against that advice. How, how have you responded because I know a lot of business owners, um, so there's not a lot of longevity in not appeasing the customer, right? <laughs> right? There's right. just not. Right. Uh, and, the, and there's not a lot of continued business in not appeasing the customer. But right. you also have to balance that with your reputation and, you know, what you and your best conscience can do. You know, how have you throughout the last 16 years of your business really been able to do that to the best of your ability in scenarios where people are not doing what you think is best for them in their yeah. business? Yeah, it's a it's definitely a common challenge. I mean, yeah. it's um, it's easy to see things from the outside, but when you're in it, living it right, you have the emotions, <laughs> sure. and you have all the other things you talked about. Sometimes it's just not clear. Yeah. Um, so. You know, this is something I talk to my team about a lot is, is not to get frustrated when it's obvious to us, mm-hmm. but it's not obvious to our client. And I say our job is continue to shed light. Yeah. So the way I look at it is, you know, we um, where we can, we educate, we try and bring examples, mm-hmm. we try and bring facts and information, but we can't change someone's mind. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to do it themselves, right? Sure. And it just takes time. So, yeah. you know, so we're, we have to be patient. And so what we do is we continue to work with the client and where we can show them, uh, you know, areas they can improve on or yeah. ways they may want to change their thinking. And I would say for the most part, it, it, it works. It, yeah. Over time, we've had some clients that have been clients for eight years. And yeah. that sounds crazy. Do you want to sell your business and eight years later you do? Sure. But it took them that long to see things a certain way to be able to really get in a place to be able to be successful with the sale. Right. And so, um, you know, that hopefully that's not the case all the time or we'd be out of business. Right, right, right. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but we're willing to stick with someone as long as it takes. Well, and that's good because, you, you know, at the end of the day, basically what you said is, is there's, you know, there, there's things that you believe to be the right way to go about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a process that you believe to be the right way to go about it. And, you know, based on what the market will bear, what the best advice is. And sometimes it does just take time yeah. to chip away at the. Yeah coarse edges and yeah. sanded that down a little right. bit and, so to speak and sometimes it's just it takes time to um 
get to the point where they're personally ready. Yeah. To make mm-hmm. you, to make the change and, and selling your business is a major change. Oh, See, for that sure. Alone, right. So just having being ready for that transition personally, um, it can take years for some people. They think they're ready. They come to us and think they're yeah. ready to do it, and then they realize they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to that person? Um, I would say, you know, if you don't have to sell and your person not ready, you know, then don't sell. Yeah. We we tell people we we talk probably half the people that come to us not to sell. Really? Yeah. Because we don't think it's the best thing for them. And we'd rather have them not go to market, go through a whole process, maybe be successful and unhappy or it falls apart because they realize in the middle of the process that yeah. they really shouldn't be doing this. We'd rather have, that's what helps our success rate is basically helping them realize now might not be the best time for you. Well, and that's huge too, is you get, you know, when you get that out on the front end, right. you know, and you do that front end work, which a lot of people might see as, you know, a lot of tedious mm-hmm. stuff that, that doesn't pay off mm-hmm. long term. That's the stuff that absolutely pays off. Definitely. You know, and you don't run into those types of situations. Right. So what's your what's your favorite story from the book? Again, you just don't you just can't make this stuff up. Uh, the trials and triumphs of negotiating mergers and acquisitions uh, by Jay Bilesmo and Randy Rue. What's your favorite story from the book? And uh, how 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 did it end up? Yeah. So, um, well, there's a there's a client in this book that I really enjoyed working with, probably one of my um, favorite clients. So that's that's why it's my favorite story. Sure, sure. Um, and what was what I really liked about this particular client is they, um, you know, they they had done a lot of soul searching and really um, were ready to kind of go through a transition. Um, but they were, you know, the market. This is a time when the market was really doing well, and mm. they were trying to decide: should I um, sell or should I keep it? you know, some of those different types of thoughts, right? And so what I liked is they developed an actual target. Like, this is how much money we want to get out of this transaction. Mm. Here's what we want to do with it. Um, they had some charitable causes that they wanted to support. Um, Very and cool. the reason that, that it's a story I love is because, you know, they ended up going to market. We did get them more than they wanted. But some of the things that they did with the charitable intent money, um, you know, they were able to really help out uh, their family. Um, mm. There's a... There's actually a whole nonprofit now. It's on the east side of the state, but it's for helping children with um, uh, learning disabilities. Awesome. And so that kind of blossomed into this this huge nonprofit over there. And and so all these kids that they helped, and they could have just waited, right, and said, you know, I'm not really ready. I can get more money by trying to time the market because a lot of people try and time the market. For sure. And sell when it's the the best time. You know, they kind of had their plan. They knew what they wanted to do. Um, One of the things I also liked about that story is we – the private equity group that bought them, uh, it was a strategic buyer. They owned another company in similar space. So we told them, you know, they want to basically have the charitable intent. And they said, well, we want to close quickly. Mm. And so they want to close like in 30 to 45 days, which is extremely fast. Yeah. Normally, I'm sure in this no, world too. Normally it's 90 to 120 days. Yeah. Right. But they had some objectives they wanted to meet and it was worth a lot of money to them. So we said, okay, if we can close in this period of time, we can get it done. We want a million extra dollars. Really? And they agreed. No way. And so that that's was, that went towards <laughs> that charity. That's awesome. And we ended up having our team um, work like crazy hours. We actually went to the business and doing diligence, and we're, you know, 
pulling files and copying documents and doing the diligence gathering. We gathered all the diligence data in two days. Normally it takes weeks. Oh my goodness. So we can close in time, but it was just a fun experience to yeah. be able to go through that and actually know that it was going to have an impact on other people's lives through this charity they were supporting. So it was a cool story. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And that, and that obviously isn't, uh, isn't something that happens every day, but when it does to play a part in it and yeah. have that, have that type of role, yeah. that's pretty neat, man. That's, fun. that's pretty neat. Yeah. So how did, how did you get your entire team to rally together to put something like that yeah um you know through the system as fast as you did because yeah. again that's you know a third of the time right. that, it, that it normally takes to close a business right this size. yeah that's one of the things that's um awesome about our team is we we truly are a team yeah we, we know in this business one of the reasons i think cess rates are low is because they use uh, independent contractors. Hmm. So, for instance, you know, you want to sell your company, you come to a firm, and then they'll basically assign an independent contractor to work with you. But that's really the only support you get is the independent contractor. So it's Got one it. person that you're relying on to do everything. Yeah. Which is also why it takes a long time. Sure. So we sure. do have a, a, a faster closing process because all of our people are employees. You know, yeah. and we have shared bonuses as a group. Mm. So there really isn't this um, independent contractor mentality. It's more of a, it is a team mentality. So when we took on this project and we knew about that objective, I remember talking to the team saying, okay, here's the, here's the situation, you know, yeah. what, what do you guys think? And they're, they're all for it. So like, let's do it. And so that's kind of how you rallied everyone together. And that's cool. Yeah. That's very, very cool. That's a lot of fun, man. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. So the process of writing the book, I've worked in publishing um, mm -hmm. a little bit and, and done a little bit of stuff in there and, and ghostwriting and stuff. The process of writing a book, writing a book, yes, because I think there's a lot of people out there who have stories or a certain level of expertise that they, they want to communicate and they want to share. Sure. Right? right. Talk about that process a little bit. Talk about what that was yeah. like. What were the challenges? What was that roller coaster like for you? Because I know it is a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think um, it would have been very difficult to do by myself. I yeah. was lucky to have Jay help me because, I, like I said, he's written other books before. Mm -hmm. um, so he had that experience. You know, the hard part for me was kind of letting go of the technical side of it. I really had this sure. knowledge I wanted to impart to people, and I wanted to do it. You know, here's all the stuff I've learned in the last, you know, 15 years. Yeah. Um, but Jay was like, you know, we got to tell it in a story format. Um, yeah. And so that was – I still felt like maybe – um, there's more technical content I wanted to get into here, but, yeah. but I think Jay did a great job of balancing that and saying, Hey, let's, let's make sure it's interesting to read. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So, so I think that's the hardest part is balancing what you want to communicate with yeah. how do you make it interesting to the audience and not basically have too much information in there. Well, yeah, the information overload and right. even if, you know, even with, with professionals in their field, you know, they think it's the most valuable thing in the world, but when it's packed in the midst of a whole bunch of other stuff, it can tend to get lost. Right. And um, one of the things I liked about the book and the way that it's written is you have the thought at the beginning of the chapters, and yes. then the chapter follows through with that thought, and right. the story follows through with that thought, which is really, really, it's a cool way to learn, right? And just from an educational standpoint, you know, it's reinforcing, hey, here's this concept, and here's a real-life scenario of where this has happened which is a cool way about how right. it was written um so that that's really really neat uh and and i'm excited to finish it i'm excited to read the rest of it um available on amazon yeah right absolutely that's yeah. where i got it um yeah. <laughs> and and do you guys have are you guys doing it completely virtually is that 
where it's available now? Is it available in different bookstores now, or is it all virtual? It's all virtual right now. That's I think that that's the smartest thing to do from any business perspective, quite honestly. <laughs> right. The old model is a little challenged. Yes, it is challenged. <laughs> and so um, that's cool. So what are your goals with the book? What do you what do you really want to do? What um, you know, obviously telling the stories and imparting the wisdom. Are are you looking to um, you know travel around with this book and and you know maybe uh, teach a little bit with it? What what are your real goals with it? Yeah. So. Y- one of the things that I'm passionate about is educating the marketplace. Yeah. So I want more uh, people to realize what can be accomplished through M&A. Yeah. Um, also to understand, you know, the risk with it as well, as far as both on the buying and the selling side. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that there's so, it's such an impactful thing that can be used for good, or it can also cause a lot of problems. Absolutely. So that's really you know, what I want to do with the book. And I'd like to be able to do more educational events. Um, we are starting a owner's roundtable series where we, we had our first one already uh, this year, which was great, where we get um, business owners that are kind of in non-competing but similar type businesses together. Mm-hmm. And we go through um, that process we were talking about, but we do it as a group. Nice. And, Very nice. And the feedback so far was that it was really enjoyable because, um, you know, like I said, it's kind of tedious and it's a lot of information. Yeah. But if you're doing it with a group of other business owners, it makes it a little more fun because you're sharing stories, you're sharing experiences, you're kind of learning from each other. Yeah. Uh, so um, I think that's a great way to do it. I want to do more of that. Awesome. That's really cool. So is that is that a group? Is that an open group? Is that like a test pilot closed group right now? Yeah, that was like our our first group was a test group. Test group. Yeah. Yeah. But but it went really, really well. So we're going to open it up to more groups. Nice. So it'll be, um, you know, we have to obviously design it from confidentiality standpoint there sure. has to be comfort there because yeah, you're, you're, sure. you know, that's, a lot of that, yeah that's the challenge protected information yeah. yeah and some people aren't comfortable in that a group environment with that kind of information which of is course. fine we do um try and not talk about highly confidential uh, subjects you know more concepts in the group sure and then offline we'll get into the more you know confidential areas but um so each group has to be kind of hand selected and mm-hmm. uh, make sure that there's a fit and make sure there's no competition things like that so, so. is this something where is it just for bi- uh, business owners who are looking at selling or is it for business owners who are just looking at improving and maybe getting a better handle on where their business is and where they want to take it in the next few years i'm glad you asked that question because this is probably the primary feedback we got was you know we're looking at selling this is why we're in this group we wished it would have been this group five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Every single one of them said that. Sure. And one person is about eight years out from selling that was in the group, and they're like, I'm so glad I was in this I'm group. I'm doing it now, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. I, you know, I, I thought the group was going to be more designed for people who are looking to sell in the near term. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, people that are, you know, three to five, ten years out even can yeah. benefit because it's it's the information that you need to think about in terms of selling your business is just good information on how to operate your business and yeah absolutely value, you know whatever stage you're at absolutely and I, I i agree um and that's and that is why kind of why i asked it so if people wanted to to be um to interview maybe to be selected for a group sure. like this or mm-hmm. they wanted to you know, get in contact with with Nuvescore, or yeah. they have questions or or they just want to know more about yeah. mergers and acquisitions um whether they're looking to get into a career or they're looking to um, sell a business or even buy a business. I mean, right. there's a lot of there's a lot of young entrepreneurs, and by young entrepreneurs, I don't mean age. I mean right. people who are just starting a business. Yes. You know, they've they've done maybe traditionally everything right, invested the right way. They want to diversify their income right now, 
and start to to build more of um, you know a, a cash flowing return on investment portfolio than maybe they've had mm-hmm. uh, before. Where where can they go to get information on that from Nuvesco or from you? Where where would be the best place for them to reach out? Sure. Yeah. So they can definitely um, reach out to myself at Nuvescore. So that would be fine. You can find my contact information on our website. Yep. So Nuvescore.com. Yep. Um, and also we are going to be doing some educational series on buying a business. So for people who really want to get educated on that process and what it all entails, yes. um, you know, if you could uh, l- let us know if you want to be on our mailing list for that, we'll be sending out information on that educational series. And then the roundtables, same thing. If you're interested, let us know. We'll definitely um, put you on the list for the next one that we do. We can see if you'd be a fit for or find one that you would be a fit for eventually. Um, so that's that's the best way to do yeah. it. Yeah, and, and I'm on the email list. I get the emails, and they're, they're, it's always great information. It's great information on um, different types of businesses that are for sale, different businesses that you're working with, mm-hmm. um, and, and different, you know, just real general information as well, like he was talking about. And um, awesome. Randy, thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I hope you had a good time. Yes. Um, thank you so much. Nuvescore.com. Go there. If you're looking to, to figure out uh, about a system to get your business ready to sell, if you're looking to build a business a little bit more soundly over the next three to five years as we're going through some of these challenges, um, you know, one of the interesting things about market correction is that once they're done, there's an amazing amount of opportunity to oh, make money. Sure. Yes. And uh, if you want to know how to do that the right way and start learning some of that stuff, I would strongly encourage you to reach out to Randy. Um, connect with him through uh, newvescore.com. Buy the book on Amazon. Um, it's a great book. It's an easy read. Like I said, I've read the first couple chapters. You just can't make this stuff up by Jay Bilesma and Randy Rua. Um, you can search just by that name. It comes right up for you. And um, it's, uh, it is available there. So, again, we are Michigan Business Talk. My name is Mike Doctor. Uh, Randy Rua, thank you so much. You. I appreciate it. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, we are available wherever uh, podcasts are heard, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Amazon Alexa by saying, Alexa, play Michigan Business Talk on Apple Podcasts. And if you are listening on any of those platforms and you want to go to a different platform or find us on YouTube, you can find us there too. So thank you again. I appreciate you guys following. Please like and share. Please rate us. And if you have any questions, please reach out. Until next time, we'll see you.